What's going on, everybody? Before I bring you this show, I wanted to let you know that it was recorded on Thursday, March 10th in front of a live audience in Brooklyn, New York. It was such a blast. And if you had a good time listening to it or a good time being there or a good time watching virtually, why don't you become a patron of the show? Patreon.com slash room is what you do and where you do that. You can get access to bonus content every single week, as well as perks like 20% off all merch and other awesome things. So become a patron right now and support this scrappy little labor of love. And hey, you can also tip the show, tbr-live on Venmo, tbr-live on Cash App. And also, why not give the podcast five stars right now? Just press pause, give it five stars. I swear you will want to when you hear this show. Enjoy. You guys have been amazing. Are you ready to get the podcast started? The host of the Bituation Room, Francesca Fiorentino! Crazy clown music. How you guys doing? Brooklyn, what's up? Yeah. Let all the people on the live stream hear you. What's up, Brooklyn? There's 8,000 of them. Yes, yeah. What's up? I'm your host, Francesca Fiorentini. I'm the host of the Bituation Room podcast. You've seen me on The Thing and that other thing and the one time and that thing that your friend shared with you, but you don't know who I am. And you approach me in Nordstrom Rack, and I'm like, nope, that's not me. And uh, yeah, here I am. So good to fucking be here. So good to be here. Uh, before we get the show started, uh, fuck Putin. How about that? Yeah. Hell yeah. Fuck that guy. You know what I mean? He had a moment, you know, when he was like barebacked on that horse. And I was like, maybe we've got him all wrong. I don't think so. Fuck Putin. We stand with Ukraine. More on that later. Are you guys ready to talk news on a Thursday? The fuck? Woo! Yes. Um, and with me. Uh, joining me for the show, uh, you've seen him on Hulu, you've heard him on Pod Yourself a Gun, and you've seen him also on the show News Broke, no big deal. Please put your hands together for the comedian Matt Lieb. <laughs> Welcome. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Hell yeah. How are you, Matt? Good. You guys big fans of my Sopranos podcast? All right. 15 people and like eight liars. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you guys so much for coming out. You guys all look beautiful. Yes. We're going to have a great show. Should we get our next guest up Let's here? Let's do it. Who's our next guest? Uh, <laughs> I well, just leave immediately. <laughs> go get him. <laughs> my time. Go get him. Go see who it is. Go to the door. Uh-huh. No, go, go. <laughs> okay, 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 that's enough. We've got a lifetime of this, babe. Oh, man. A fucking lifetime. We're engaged. Ah! <laughs> ah! Fuck yeah! He trapped me. Ah, uh, you're trapped. With a really ugly ring, It was guys. a bad ring. 
I don't know how, like, he should have been trapping, I don't know, like, old Jewish grandmas with yeah, that Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it was the worst ring ever. I don't know if anyone knows this story, but <laughs> basically what had happened was I got a custom ring based on a picture she sent me months ago of a, of a good ring. <laughs> and they didn't have that kind of ring. I just wanted a square and a circle. <laughs> and, and they didn't have... I also, love this is how men explain it. A square and circle. Yeah, that's right. Men explain rings to you. What like, do I know from rings? I all I knew is is, is a square. Do you guys have uh, those squares with circles? <laughs> oh yes, sir. I believe we do. Right this way. Yeah. <laughs> They're only five thousand dollars. Ooh, that sounds cheap. <laughs> so uh, I got it custom made, uh, and it was a. Uh, he told me it was going to be London blue. It was a, a blue topaz because I no conflict stones. Uh, you know, she didn't want a conflict stone. Nope. And what do you know? We're in fucking conflict about. It. <laughs> <laughs> she hated it. It was the ugliest ring. I as soon as I got it, I was like, oh no! It looks like a ring pop. Uh, <laughs> why is it so big who wants a stone that big alright let's get the show going yeah, anyways, about we're in love. We've, we've got to talk about Ukraine and oil everybody yeah, uh, try, try to lighten the also joining us um, he is the host of the majority report a daily show I'm sure you guys have all heard about and when the sun is out his guns are out uh, oh god what a fucking nightmare it is Sam Cedar, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hey. I don't know if you guys heard, but the three of us are engaged. Polycule. <laughs> yeah. R- really? Because that'd be really tight. I'm like into it. No? <laughs> that's great. Okay. No, that's cool. We can talk about it after. Um, <laughs> I am not vaccinated. <laughs> and that is much. why. I would love the idea of being in a polycule with two Jewish men, you know? <laughs> just having to handle two Jewish men at the same time. Just so much, just anxiety at all times. I think you can handle it. <laughs> Thank God there are two nights of Passover. Mm hmm. We alternate. Yeah, exactly. Family. I think we should. This we is the rest of the show. First year. First I want planning year. our polycule to be the rest right, of this fucking show. New podcast. But that's that was like the dream I had about this. It's going even better. All right, you guys. We uh, start the show off every single week, uh, every Sunday, five eight Eastern. Yes, I hate the Lord's Day. Um, the same way uh, as we always do, which is to ask, "What are you bitching about now?" Amazing. So, uh, Matt Lieb. Yeah. What are you bitching about today? Uh, what what is everyone else bitching about? These damn gas prices. You know what I mean? These goddamn gas. No, here's what I'm bitching about in regards to gas prices. Um, I love how they can raise immediately, (laughs) but then when oil starts flowing again, they're like, all right, it'll be back at $5 a gallon in, say, eight months. Eight <laughs> months. It's like they absolutely control, and you know who Who's I'm... Who's they? You know, the Illuminati. Oh, they're going to say... Yeah, 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 yeah. Bill Gates and his microchip company. 
They control the gas. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I feel like the uh, prices are uh, clearly uh, manipulated and inflated by Wall Street energy traders. And uh, we all act like it's, uh, you know, something that's natural, naturally occurring. Uh, that's gas what my mom says every time she does pass gas. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> every it's time. natural. <laughs> Her mom likes to fart and go, it's natural. <laughs> And then Matt picked it up. <laughs> yeah, now I do it because I've borrowed a lot. But uh, the point is... No, is that's that good. What kind of car do you drive? The engagement is off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I drive a 2006 uh, Honda Civic uh, <laughs> LX. Um, thank you. Thank you. What color? Uh, it gets like... What color? Yeah. It's a tan car. Hell I drive yeah. a tan car. <laughs> I'm very proud of my tan car. And what does I it just, get? What? what? What mileage does it get? Oh, it, well, it gets great mileage, like 25 in the city or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I drive it only sometimes. I bought it uh, from an old lady who... Is she uh, still around? Because we could sell the ring to her. Uh, no, she, ooh, that's a good point. <laughs> no, she, uh, she's definitely dead. Um, she used the... It only had 21,000 miles on it when I bought it because she only used it to go to BevMo and back. <laughs> So, uh, anyways, I got a deal. All right, that's that's good. All right, so that you're bitching about gas prices. Gas prices. I'm just saying, you know, we can lower them uh, in the same way we manipulate the market by hiring, you know, by making them high. It's sure. all just market manipulation, and we act like it's instead this like act of God. We'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, Sam Cedar, what are you bitching about tonight? I am. I just saw this uh, today, actually. And so I've been bitching about it. I've actually been bitching about this for a while, but now I have oh. like specific evidence of it. There was a report that came out uh, today that in 2019, or 20, excuse me, 2020, 2020 the IRS audited poor people with incomes under $25,000 at five times the rate it audited everyone else Jesus. Five times the rate, and it, forgive me for swearing, it fucking drives me crazy, the complete underfunding that we have done consistently of the IRS, when we know that for every dollar you spend on the IRS, you get a return of somewhere between five and seven dollars, and it is, we don't have a media that uh, points out the fact that there has been a systemic program over the past, really, the past 40 years, uh, but more often than not when the Republicans are in office, to underfund agencies and then blame them for doing bad things. Yeah. So it happens with Social Security Administration, and it's happening with the IRS. The only thing that is mitigating um, how uh, pissed off I am is that in this uh, budget they passed uh, yesterday... Uh, they added, uh, I think, about $600 million to the IRS budget, which is going to end up, I mean, it's going to be several billion dollars that are coming back in. But the problem is is that when they audit really wealthy people, uh, they have so many lawyers that the auditors just stay away. So that's that's It's just much easier to go after poor people or middle-income people uh, than it is for uh, rich people. People making $25,000 or less, I mean, are... Uh, a low income in this country. And, yes. um, and that's, it's, yeah, it's the low-hanging fruit 
And it's, uh, it's That's why, like, I'm with, like, stand-up comics, and we're all like, I don't know, I might get audited if I write off this gas money. And you're like, what? <laughs> Who would audit you? You made, like, $20,000 last year. And it's like, yeah, the IRS will. <laughs> They're like, I don't know, you got paid in drink tickets. That was at <laughs> least, at least $8 right there that you did not own up to. So stupid. Um... All right, well, let's see. I'm bitching about this uh, don't say gay bullshit in Florida. The don't say gay bill uh, that passed the Senate today uh, or yesterday, and it's going to be signed into law by uh, just sort of head wound Trump uh, DeSantis, if that's even possible to get dumber than Trump. And so I'm bitching about the don't say gay bill because I think it's ridiculous that the idea that, like, discussions of LGBTQ issues or, like, inclusivity would be indoctrinating kids. Like, if you're gonna do a bill that prevents people from saying something, it should be, like, the don't say frozen bill. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) that's arguably doing far more damage to our children. All the kids get in trouble if they even mention the existence of Olaf. Yeah, yeah, Olaf. Uh-uh. Get out of here. Yeah, be like, oh, I see you have an Elsa backpack. Get the fuck to detention. (laughs) I'm sorry, did you say princess, little girl? Yeah. Uh-uh. Like, yeah, yeah. that's what I want. I want the don't say princess. Bill. Give me that backpack. Let it go. Let it go. No, now I'm in detention. Oh, cruel fate. You said it. I didn't sing it. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Don't say gay. Is it is it is extremely messy. I didn't know what that was when I first heard about it. It was the don't say gay bill, and for a second I thought it was like don't bully kids, you know, by calling them gay. That's the first thing I thought. Huh. I was, yeah, yeah. It turned out to be the literal opposite. Yeah. So I was going around, and you're like, yeah, no, that's good. Don't say gay, man. I would I would stop being bullied through all of sixth grade. Turns out it's a bill that does the bullying, so... But it's like, what do they think... And this, like, it's from, like, kindergarten to third grade. Yeah. What do they... Th- are they think kids are, like, crafting anal beads or some shit? Like, <laughs> like, like, I mean, maybe they should, you know? But, like, what? Just, you know, like, are you a sub or a dumb, <laughs> Jimmy? Like, um... <laughs> Mama, I made a macaroni picture of my kink. Wow, that's great. Doesn't even fit on the page. Uh, what about you? You got kids? I do, yes. Cool. What are your kids' kinks? Tell them about it. Are they subs or doms we, or what? We instituted the um, uh, the frozen rule a long time ago. Oh, good, that smart. Was, that was a real problem. I mean, it is, it is, it is nuts that uh, there was a time, ten, fifteen years ago, where if you talked about like some bat crap crazy bill that was being introduced in some legislature somewhere, people would be like, "Oh my God, stop being hysterical!" Right. And now every fucking one of those bills passes and gets signed into law, yeah. and it's happening around the country. And, you know, this is, we're, you know, close to a decade away from the idea of marriage equality, and we are literally just walking backwards. Yeah. Running backwards. I, I think they're going to go for that next. I mean, honestly, I think that's... I, 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 without a doubt. I, I, I think that it's inevitable that you're going to start to see tests on that 
uh, ability of, of people to get married, uh, and uh, yeah. that's where we're headed. I mean, this was this is they're running out of on some level boogie people. Yeah, but yeah. isn't it? It's kind of cute. I mean, it's awful, but it is kind of quaint that we're back to like satanic panic moments. Right. Yeah. It's like they have nothing else. It, um, it is a level of ridiculousness that is you know, unprecedented in terms of these types of bills that we would, like you were saying, would once find ridiculous. My dad sent me a uh, like a one of those email chain letters that was like ridiculous laws that are still in place in Michigan. If you you know have sex with a bear, you have to marry it. <laughs> <laughs> And now all of those laws are actually being yeah, like, written. They're like, well, actually, I think that should happen. Those <laughs> bears need wives, too. But, yeah, it is. Uh, it is. That's how they talk in Michigan. That's how they talk. bears need wives. <laughs> I all do right. two accents. Uh, hey, I'm a guy from everywhere, and I lie on British. So those are... That's the best you're going to get. Thank you. Divey Beckham fish and cheese. Okay. Let's get into the week. It's not quite over, uh, but a few things that happened. Uh, McDonald's announced it would temporary clo- temporarily close 850 restaurants in Russia in protest of their invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and I just think that's great because, like, nothing is more American than thinking forcing people to eat better is punishment. You know, like, <laughs> okay. um, Dr. Bronner's Magic Soap Company now offers ketamine therapy as part of its employee health care coverage. Fuck yeah. Ketamine can be used to treat depression, pain, epilepsy, ADHD, PTSD, and anxiety. It's basically, ketamine's like the Dr. Bronner's all-in-one <laughs> of psychiatric drugs. Let's be real. You can use it anywhere. Um, <laughs> and now when you take it, you can finally read all that little text. <laughs> Just be like, I'm reading my book right now. Yo, Dr. Bronner's burns in the in the hard to reach places. Let me just say, oh, yeah. it burns down there, right? Don't don't. I don't know what's in it, but uh, it stings. It's, it's not. Bad. Yeah, uh, Whole Foods now has the technology to let people grocery shop without paying in the store. The technology consists of hundreds of cameras and is known as Just Walk Out technology, which is fitting because Just Walk Out is what every Amazon employee should do. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Fuck yeah! A 31-year-old Georgia man was sentenced to three years in federal prison on Friday after he spent $58,000 of a COVID relief loan on a first edition Charizard. 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 Charizard (laughs) Pokemon card. After learning about the sentence, he said three years alone in a room with no women. How is that different from the last 31 years? (laughs) Virginity, I choose you. And the pandemic is over, if you want it. Uh, masks and vax mandates are dropping all over the country, including here in New York. Uh, we did it, America. We finally forgot how COVID works. Again. Oh, my God. For everything else, this is the week where. Oh, you're fine. Come back, come back. <laughs> Just hiding. <laughs> I'll do that a couple more times tonight. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, bear with me. This was the week where Joe Biden announced he was unilaterally banning the imports of oil and gas from Russia for the country's ongoing war on Ukraine, which, keeping in Joe Biden tradition, is largely symbolic as Russia will continue selling to its major sugar daddy, China. It will, however, hurt Americans. Hurt being a loose term, uh, given that Land Rovers can't actually feel pain in the same way that the people of Ukraine can. Uh, Biden acknowledges the higher gas prices and is trying to call it Putin's price hike. You're like, okay, try again, buddy. Um, Even though Russian gas is only 8% of our energy, um, so, like, what's going on? What gives? Well, as Matt kind of alluded to, traders on Wall Street are artificially inflating oil in expectation of scarcity. That is traders, T-R-A-I-T-O-R-S. The administration... (laughs) is touting uh, it, that it's ramping up production, right? They're like, oh my God, we got so much oil. They're, they're gloating at the fact they've got 34% more oil and gas permits than Trump did in his first year, even though Biden vowed to end drilling permits and fossil fuel subsidies. Uh, still, we need oil, and the quickest way to get more oil is through OPEC, the oil cartel run by Saudi Arabia and UAE, who are currently not answering Biden's calls. <laughs> Soups, ock. Um, they're playing phone tag. I mean, that's what he says. <laughs> But we need oil so bad uh, that Biden officials went to Venezuela <laughs> and were like, hi. <laughs> you the president, Mr. Maduro. <laughs> you the president. I don't even, who, who's Guaido, what? Uh, we promise to never coup you. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and that's where things stand with Ukraine and oil. And I drive a Prius. I'm a fucking ally. End of story. Um, let's get into it, though. Sam, are you feeling pain in your pump? Wow. <laughs> you just ratcheted up the heat on this polycule. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been washing with Dr. Bronner's? <laughs> Um, No, but essentially we're seeing the ways that war is creating an impetus for a heavier reliance on fossil fuels, as it pretty much always always does. Very consistently. You know, I was talking about this today on the show. It's incredibly frustrating that there's no uh, response from the center to the left on this issue as it comes up. I mean, uh, you know, you you got uh, Steve Ducey's kid. I, I can't remember the kid's name. Uh, Peter Ducey, right, thank you, uh, at the, um, the White House press conference, you know, peppering the administration, are you going to uh, have more permits and this and that, and they're bragging, like you say, about how many permits have already been issued. Yeah. It seems to me there's, there's, there's basically two responses. One is, if this is a national security issue, that we need uh, oil and we need to sort of match up our refining capacity with what we're able to pull out of the ground, we should nationalize all of it. We should own, this is genuinely a national security issue. Let's not leave it to the private market. Let's nationalize the whole fucking bucket of it. Mm. And then we'll figure it out from there. Um, And then the other answer is that like, you know, while we're nationalizing all of their oil profits um, and, uh, you know, uh, protecting our national security, We'll figure out how to phase it out. Yeah. I mean, that's basically it. But there's no, there doesn't seem to be any type of response to that because, of course, 
You don't want to say nationalize it if you're on the left because you don't want to promote necessarily the idea of maintaining the extraction of fossil fuels. Right. Right. But the reality is that's going to happen for a certain period of time. I say we offer to nationalize the thing and take it seriously on their terms, and uh, then we start to ramp it down. I feel like the mm. left. I feel like the left would appreciate or like be able to like be okay with that message if it was like we nationalize oil, but then we also kill all the oil executives like yeah. right after, like immediately. I mean, line once them up. we own them, I'm just saying. Is this being recorded? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, that's the thing. They're trying to speak out of both sides of their mouths, right? In a long thread that Jen Psaki has, it's like, we've got all this oil production, but by the way, eventually, climate change. I mean, green energy, you know, all the stuff that they know they're supposed to be saying, but you're wondering, like, at what, what's the year? It's like, well, we need five more years. And then, I mean, the IPCC's not given us five fucking years, right? Yeah. Like, the UN's given us, I think there's six left. It was like... 10 a little bit ago? How do we not all have this countdown clock on our phones? Well, to be fair, look at what we did by getting rid of COVID. We could do the same thing with climate change. Just ignore it? Exactly. That's that's an option? It's over, folks. (laughs) Uh, Climate change is over. It's Too inconvenient, it's over. You're welcome. <laughs> so creepy. Um, well, of course, uh, you, if you went on Fox News and said nationalize, I'm very curious as to what they would say. Obviously. I, I'd be curious what they say on MSNBC, frankly. They, yeah. They'd all freak out. Yeah. They would all freak out. It would be the last time you're on that network. Sure. Yeah. You, we, we, would both, we both know that feeling, right, Sam? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, have me back on. No, uh, I don't know this man. What? Killing oil executives? Um, <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> no, but it is interesting because a lot, like BP just dropped 20% of its shares in Rosneft, the Russian oil company. They're moving back back to the United States because they're all like, oh, hell yeah, we're going to drill even more here. Um, and again, this is this cannot be the option. Um, and yet the right is blaming Folks like ourselves, people who believe climate change is real and want to move to renewables ASAP, keep it in the ground, as they say. Stop line five, line three, all the fucking pipelines. Um, And they are blaming one particular little teen uh, specifically. Take a look. That effectively reversed all of Trump's energy policies and then he returned us to the climate Paris Accord Mm. because he's listening to people like Greta Thunberg and these climate radicals. This is the irony of letting children like Greta Thunberg take up self space in your brain. Think about all the uh, all the adults that took her opinion over the over the (laughs) progress made in fracking or drilling or the necessity of coal in nearly every country but you know but no 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 how dare you remember that how dare you we all sat there oh maybe she'll drop solar panels down to the into kiev to save people there's a direct causal link a direct causal link between greta thunberg at the at the un podium with with the tears down her her cheeks saying how dare you between that and all the, great, the damage she's been doing throughout Europe and the world, pushing for, for climate fanaticism, 
and, and um, Vladimir Putin's dominance and being able to invade uh, Ukraine last week. A direct causal link. How dare you? A direct causal link. Oh, don't me, Putin, daddy. <laughs> the, I've watched that clip uh, about 25 times. <laughs> and every time I hear him say, fucking Baba Booey. <laughs> Baba Booey. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I watch it again, he doesn't. It's uh, weird. But just Greta hit a, a nerve, yeah. right? Because, like, what is that nerve that she hit? Just like a child looking into your eyes, begging you, please, yeah. <laughs> don't do this. Fuck you, you <laughs> piece of shit, Greg Gutfeld, wannabe comic asshole. <laughs> like, just, just like, you know, but, because she did hit a nerve. Yeah. But even with the right, oh, they love to dump on her. And it, yeah. I think it's, does it go back to the fact that she got person of the year when Trump didn't? And Oh. Right? Remember that? Is that what it was? I thought it was just that they are uh, disgusting and hate children. <laughs> yeah. That they are uh, evil on the evil inside as well shit. as the outside. Um, well, let's switch it up and go to something a little bit lighter. Uh, instead of suss out the global oil market on a Thursday. Um, <laughs> this was the week where professional famous person Kim Kardashian... And the yes. Botox, yes, we're doing it. Yes. Don't groan. The Botox Illuminati, that is her family, spoke with Variety about their rebooted reality series and had some words of wisdom for female entrepreneurs. I have the best advice for women in business. Get your up and work. It seems like nobody wants to work these days. You That's have to, so true. You have to surround yeah. yourself with people that want to work. Have a good work environment where everyone loves what they do because you have one life. No toxic work environments and show up and do the work. <laughs> That's what she says to her plastic surgeon. You show up and do the fucking work. <laughs> but she- it does sound like she is just being really passive aggressive towards one of her domestic yep. mates. You know, just like, show up and do the work, Blanca. Yeah. One time I caught her resting. Yeah. Ew. She, she takes was... a siesta every night for eight hours. It's insane. <laughs> Show up and do the work. So ridiculous. Uh, I, I got to say, I uh, two weeks ago went to Disney World uh, with my kids, which ew. was a little bit of a nightmare. But <laughs> I saw animatrons that were more lifelike. <laughs> Than those people. <laughs> Sam had, has doesn't know what a Kardashian is. Yeah. And first saw this clip before the show and was like, what, 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 what? Like yeah. a child seeing a... I believe the words you said were, well, I've seen a picture, but I've never seen one move. <laughs> I had never seen them talk. <laughs> It's bad. It's How did you like miss it. all of the Kardashians? I tried. I couldn't. They just inundate you They're eventually. Everywhere. I they, don't know. They, they start I... sleeping with your favorite rappers. They start sleeping with your favorite comedians. And you're just like, God damn it. I just when wanna... are they going to sleep with me? Is that yeah, what you're saying? When? When? No, but like, 
Kim Kardashian lecturing us on, like, working is just so insane. This is a woman <laughs> who's never worked a day in her life. Like, letting a camera follow you from Starbucks to cool sculpting isn't work. You know what I mean? That's not... Like, she's the daughter of a wealthy attorney. She's famous for a fucking... I mean, let's be real. For fucking... And <laughs> for a, uh, but anyway... Uh, she might be right. She might be right. It is difficult to be an influencer, to be that famous. Mm-hmm. Here she is at Fashion Week trying to walk while covered in tape. <laughs> wow. She, she looks like she's really trying not to shit herself. <laughs> she's got that holding in a poo-poo Wait, waddle. Sitting. Oh, she did it. Uh, oh, oh. She, she let it out. She let the poo-poo out. <laughs> All by herself, too. Good for her, man. It's amazing work ethic. Yeah. I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) What? what, what? That doesn't look like work to you? I just don't know what it is. Recognize women's labor, Sam. Oh, my God. (laughs) I love the idea of her just being like, my advice to entrepreneurs is um, generational wealth. (laughs) Be born rich then you then you can work and do whatever you want and like the the annoying thing too is like this like nobody wants to work anymore has been this like mantra of like mostly right wingers and like mcdonald's franchise owners and shit like we're just like no one wants to work anymore inside of this giant cauldron of boiling oil and slippery <laughs> floors for eleven dollars an hour. Where are all the workers? And <laughs> the annoying thing is like nobody wants to work anymore. Who the fuck wants to work? Nobody Most wants people's to work. jobs suck. So the idea that you should want to like be there more so than you just are trying to earn a paycheck. You know, that's bullshit. As society, we should be okay if someone's like, I don't want to work. Absolutely. I just want to bang on the drum all day. I feel like in a backwards way, that's complimenting Kim K for what she's done, which is (laughs) just not work and make hella money. She just wants to bang on a drum all day. She wants to be banged on like a drum. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Yeesh. Yeesh. I cannot believe Pete Davidson. Is Pete Davidson in the room? I'm sorry. That motherfucker better have five dicks. Yeah. (laughs) Impossible. At least three. At least three dicks. How? You know, Pete Davidson and I are the same, Mick. We are both uh, Jewish and Irish. That's bullshit. You need tattoos, babe. I need to lose like a million pounds (laughs) and get into Xanax or something. Uh, I'm better looking. Thank you. Thank you. Yay. Matt's attractive. (laughs) Sam's half clap. Yeah, sure. I'll give it to him. I need this. (laughs) Any final thoughts, Sam? Explain the the tape. (laughs) I don't get it. Which which tape? What is she wearing? She's wearing tape. I don't get it. It's Balenciaga. (laughs) It's art. I don't know what that means. It's Italian. It's an Italian tape. It's very, the adhesive quality is good, I think. It's very different. Why was she wearing that tape? It's for taping a box of cannolis. It's fashion. How did she get out of it? (laughs) 
uh, scissors. I can't imagine how much pain. <laughs> forever. <laughs> she's this was tape. a mistake. Listen, ah! she's in the tape forever. That's commitment. No, uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. If it were an art installation and she was just doing that, I would respect it more. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, it's an art statement about how, you know... Like, we're all, like, behind caution tape. Yeah, we're all. It's like caution. You know what I mean? Caution, I got feelings and stuff. <laughs> all right, you guys. Let's Watch move out. on to our final story. Um, this is really... <laughs> I thought it was going to be juicier for you. I just died... I, I, I'm amazed by the tape thing. I yeah. just can't get It's commitment, it. yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's wrapped around her whole body. No, I know. <laughs> After that, I don't know what it's about. <laughs> um, this was the week where, oh, yet another former Trump official made the media rounds in a walk of shame or insanely lucrative book deal where they tell secrets about Trump's reckless behavior, but really just tell on themselves for doing fuck all about it. This time, it's former Attorney General Bill Barr. Don't move. Don't go anywhere, Sam. Um, now, <laughs> I, bought, I bought Bill Barr's book for $22 on Kindle so that I could do this show for you. That's why. I read it. I am your... Thank you. I didn't need an applause, but yay, the Frantifa is strong. Um... <laughs> so, essentially, just summarizing the book, uh, his life is great, he's amazing, George W. Bush was God's gift to humankind, uh, and he was... You know, relatable content like yeah. that. <laughs> and that he stands by everything he did in the Trump years, he stands by the fact that he uh, basically thwarted the Mueller investigation, he believes that it was all bullshit, uh, and he stands by calling the National Guard on protesters who then uh, were tear gassed so that Trump could hold the bibble. Uh, he stands by all that, but the election claims of fraud were too far. For, that was... Mm-mm. So he writes, I did, not ag- I did not agree with his stolen election mantra since I was given no say in the matter. It's like, if you were given a say, would you care? care? <laughs> what does Billy think? Okay. <laughs> like, oh, now he's with it. I was not going along for that ride. I believe the election was effectively over on December 14th when state certified results and electors cast their votes. In reality, this is in reference to Trump, he has no concern with ideology or political principle. His motive is revenge, and it's entirely personal. His objective is to purge those who did not actively support his attempts to overturn the 2020 election and to seed the party with more compliant members personally loyal to him. Donald Trump has shown he has neither the temperament nor persuasive powers to provide the kind of positive leadership that is needed. Oh, wow. Oh, now? So brave. Oh, now we're there? (laughs) Now, let's take a look at uh, a little book interview that he did. Because while he said all that, here's what he told Savannah Guthrie just this week. You say in your book it's time for the party to move on from Trump. Liz Cheney has said he is not fit to serve and should not be ever near the Oval Office again. Do you agree with that? Well, I certainly have made it clear I don't think he should be our nominee, and I'm going to, you know, support somebody else for the nomination. But if he is the nominee, and you have your choice is Donald Trump or whoever's running on the Democratic side, would you vote for him? Uh, because I believe that the, the greatest threat to the country is the progressive agenda being pushed by the Democratic Party. It's inconceivable to me that I wouldn't vote for the Republican nominee. So even if he 
lied about the election and threatened democracy, as you write in your book. Well, it's, well, it's better hard, than a Democrat. It's hard to project what the facts are going to turn out to be three years hence. But as of now, it's hard for me to conceive that I wouldn't vote for the Republican nominee. <laughs> So he would still vote for Trump. Very brave man well, right there. What facts are going to change three years from now? This guy is such a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's honestly like... Will not change. When I have fantasies, they involve me being in a position... Go on. ...to... Make him spend a day in prison for every dollar that book has generated in revenue. Hell yeah. I put him away for at least 22 days. I know it's a boring fantasy, but... um, No, that's a good one. I like that. such a piece of garbage. And and also, here's the thing that I think people should really remember. There was a whole uh, set of, of... elite in this country, legal elite, beltway elite, who told us it's good that Bill Barr is becoming the attorney general because he's an adult. When someone says the adults are here, understand that whoever's articulating that and whoever they're articulating about are full of shit. They're pieces of garbage. It's a huge tip-off. To be just glad that there's an adult in the room. Just that I that that construct mm-hmm. is a pure tip off of like you're getting you're gonna get fucked over in some way. That's yeah. that's the the big like tell. Yeah. yeah, I mean yeah, Bill Barr. It's really interesting to read his because be, every every time one of these books comes out, they get trotted out in the media circuit and kind of praised for a little bit praise, basically, for the ways that they're now throwing Trump under the bus, so as if that was brave, right? Yeah, right? But he ends his book by saying he's just waiting for, like, America's next top MAGA. Like, he is... Yeah. He thinks that MAGA is a positive message, that it doesn't, you know, base its ideology on identity. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that Literally wearing hat identifiers. Yeah, yeah. Just with the hood on, like, I don't see color. It's mostly white. No. So he continues. So he says, under his, you know, the tax reform, deregulatory efforts generated the strongest, most resilient economy in American history, one that brought unprecedented progress to marginalized Americans. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, people who weren't billionaires before became them? Like, you know, the marginalized millionaires really got overlooked. Uh, To be fair, it gave millions of Americans the opportunity to experience foreclosure. Yeah. And that's a gift that actually keeps giving for years and years (laughs) because of our bankruptcy laws. So... I like this attempt at a joke. The backwards. <laughs> What's and annoying? The joke goes from funny to sad no, immediately. Like, for years and years. Every joke it's on this almost everything show. that comes out of my mouth mm-hmm. just starts here and then just moves right into sad. <laughs> Um, He says, I'm under no illusion about who's responsible for dividing the country, embittering our politics, and weakening and demoralizing our nation. It's the progressive left. Absolutely. And they're increasingly totalitarian ideas. This is the most insane thing about uh, all of their critiques of the left. Because he's literally sitting there on TV, and he's going like, 
you know, the, the threat to America that the progressive agenda, you know, it, it, like that is unconscionable. Literally, the threat of Trump was he tried to overturn an election. At what level do we start going like, well, what are you worried about? Like, what are you actually worried about? Pronouns? Is that yeah. your shit? The tyranny of pronouns. What is the thing you're worried about? Because there was an actual attempt at overturning an election. The totalitarianism of cancel culture. Yeah. it's That's... yeah. Well, you know, if a progressive is here, then um, everyone's going to get canceled. And uh, I won't be able to say my favorite slurs out <laughs> loud. So. And who does Bill Barr think is buying his fucking book? Yeah. It's not MAGA people. My yeah. dumbass. It's not MAGA. It's no. not MAGA people. It's all the people he loathes. Yeah. yeah. They're the ones who are buying his book to the extent that anyone is. And I would encourage everyone steal the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Steal the book. Burn it. Um, We're going to break her Kindle as soon as there we get are home. Apps where you can scan the book. And then put it on on on, on the internet. So I, I've I would say, never thought of lighting a bookstore on fire, obviously, because that'd be insane. But when you go into a Hudson News at an airport, <laughs> and it's like Janine Pirro, you know, yeah. like like the danger left or something, <laughs> like Tommy Laren, like yeah. everyone's out to cancel you or whatever yeah, yeah, her yeah. book is called. It's just yeah, like right. when you have that like yeah. lineup of awfulness. Yeah, I definitely I didn't do it, but I should have. Yeah. Can, can we all make a pledge that if you're in an airport and you see a book display like that, you will take the nearest cookbook and put it in front of those books <laughs> on the rack. And if enough of us band together to do this, then yeah. we'll have socialism. We can make yeah. a difference. <laughs> <laughs> the beginnings of socialism. After a while. All right, you guys, um, let, let us, I didn't even tease that we had this guest, but you guys all know who we have in the house waiting for a positive discussion, a fucking, in, not talking about the right wing anymore, not analyzing their bullshit, because we all know it's the same goddamn thing every single day. Let's talk about our side. Let's talk about what we're building, especially here in New York. She's a city council member for New York's 22nd District. Prior to that, she represented over a 1,000 clients as a public defender. She identifies as an abolitionist, a queer Latina, and a Queens kid. Please welcome Tiffany Caban. Thank you. Bienvenidos. I'm very nervous. Council member. How are you? How are you? I'm all right. I brought my hype man. <laughs> Is that Gustavo? That's Gustavo. Hell yeah. State senator over there. Hell yeah. Um, Tiffany, um, you, you've been in an elected office for only a couple months. How is it? What are the perks like? What are the snacks like? Tell us. <sighs> nap pods. Are there any? No nap pods. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it like? It's, it's kind of wild. Uh, there are people who want to say hi and be nice to you that you never thought would. You know, like when you when I when I was out organizing or even when I was running for office, uh, you know, like Rebney and real estate people would be like, oh, and like not going anywhere near her. And now they'll come up and be like, oh, Councilmember Kabbalah, and how are you? Can we please <laughs> chat? Love you. You're great. Um, right now, it's it's a little bit overwhelming. It's like our my first experience with a budget, and the budget is just in its first iteration horrific, and we've got a lot to to fight for. 
um, perks. Uh, before this, I was obviously a public defender, and my office, yeah, yeah, shout out to the public defenders, the good guys. Um, and my office, right, was like, literally, this is how close I sat to my office mate. We could, we could sit in each other's lap, we could touch each other, tiny. I have two offices now, which is crazy. Oh. Yeah, and one of them, I get the biggest perk. I get to bring my dog to my office now. He's got, she's got like a little corner in my, my office. It's great. Yeah, what kind of dog you have? She is, uh, her name is Natalie. She's a beagle pit bull mix. She's 11 years old. That's yeah. fucking adorable. Yeah, that she's, is I would pretty cute. put like a tie on her and glasses. And <laughs> she's not that classy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All you're doing is Instagramming your dog in office, and people are like, I don't know if she's working. Yeah. Like, you're just like, fuck, I got to do this budget thing. But look how cute the dog looks. Um, well, I wanna, we want to talk about the budget, uh, but look, let's talk about your, you've had multiple runs at office, your second run. Um, you first ran for Queens DA and came within ridiculous striking distance. Uh, stolen, yes. Stolen striking distance. Thank you. Uh, with some bullshit ballot errors, as we all know. Um, but I think when I was coming up in progressive politics and leftist politics, we did not look to the electoral arena, especially I lived here in New York, and I did not know city council members. I mean... Uh, I knew who was our asshole. I mean, I knew Bloomberg. I called him out. <laughs> I called him out on television. That was fun. Um, but that was it. You know, I was just like, fuck Bloomberg, and I don't care. Um, that has changed. We have now a left that sees the electoral arena, uh, especially a young left, as a place to fight for. And how, is, how did that help you in your campaign? And, like, what do you think about that um, politically? Yeah. I mean, I think it's incredibly important, but I was like a lot of other folks where before I ran for district attorney, like I did not fuck with electoral. It was my first, it was my introduction to electoral politics, right? I had never gone anywhere near it, um, but I, and I I guess maybe it makes more sense to talk about my personal journey a little bit, but like as I, I studied movements, right? And what, what I now know to be movement ecology, I understood that we absolutely had to be participating in this strategy, right? Because movements are made up of, of pieces. First of all, the life of movements are long, right? Like any s- liberation struggle, any civil rights movement, they're a decade long. They're decades long. But they also have different pieces that have to be present, right? And they all have to be present at the right time, right? They call them bubble-bursting moments. But it's like you have to have mass protest. You have to have people who are engaged in personal transformation, right? Um, and you have to have people who are living outside of norms or what we call alternatives, modeling what the possibilities are for us to then scale. But you cannot leave out the changing dominant institutions piece. And that's electoral politics. That is putting our people in, a, in those positions of power to, to kind of push out the bounds of, of what they can do. But then also recognizing that they're all, while yes, some, like in a certain amount of tension, they're all in relationship to one another and the value of being in relationship to, to one another. And plus, then we just started winning shit, right? right? Like, that's the, that, that is also the big thing. Like, here in, in not here because we're in Brooklyn, um, but, <laughs> uh, but shade, in, in Queens, in Queens, <laughs> in Queens, like, we did some really dope things. You go back to 2018 and you're like, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right? 
Heard of her, heard of her. Yeah. We are slaying giants. We are unseating some of the most powerful Democrats in the country. And then right after that, you're like, well, David and Goliath, we we ran out Amazon and they didn't think that we could do it, right? Um, We came pretty close with the DA, but we we had all of these really powerful wins and that it's energizing. We have been able to expand the amount of people who are like, oh, I could, I could fuck with this too, yeah. and, and we'll get involved. And now we have a bunch of organizers, leftist organizers, in the city council. And so that's really incredible. So the, the anarcho-crust punks can coexist with a city council member. The dumpster diving can happen alongside the budget meetings. That's right. After the budget meeting, you go and dumpster dive. <laughs> right? Is that what that's you're right. trying to say? Okay. It's exactly. the ecosystem. I get you it. You get it. I- I, I'm curious as to, and, and maybe you know, it's it's uh, y- you don't have necessarily a perspective on this, but what difference has it made to not have Andrew Cuomo as the yeah. governor relative to um, not just the relationship with the state and the city, but just, I mean, I, I years ago was in a room with. Uh, a lot of, uh, of organizers and people who worked in, uh, I guess, NGOs who were like, we would rather anybody than Andrew Cuomo as the governor. Um, you know, anybody, like any Republican. Like, he's the worst that it can get. Do, do you have a sense of if there's been a change in terms of, like, that vacuum of, Thuggery or power? I, don't, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but thuggery <laughs> and power? I, I feel like Gustavo has all the words. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gustavo. Like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gustavo Rivero over there saying, reminding us that, uh, yeah, Cuomo's not your boyfriend. I don't know if anyone was a Cuomo sexual. Not my crew. No, no, not these people. Hell no. Um, but yeah. But is there a difference? I mean, does the city, is there a sense that there's a vacuum and there's more possibility to get progressive policies both on a city level and, and maybe across the state? I mean, there's a difference for sure, right? There's a difference in culture. There's a difference in the way that power is used and wielded. Um, I, From what I understand, there are a bunch of state legislators that can actually talk to our, our governor and maybe get some things done. But I just want to be clear that like that is not the place to... to stop like yes it is the bare minimum not to have an abusive power hungry you know governor at the at the helm but like we're not going to get what we need to get done with a corporate dem we're not going to get what we need to get done with somebody that's like oh yeah let's opt into to prison you know giving out prison labor to corporations or or all of these different things um, so we still got a ton of work to do on that front. On that front specifically, um, given that you, you know, you're not DA in Queens, but you're a city council member and like, how would you take your vision for changing this carceral based justice system in New York that is so flawed? You've got, you know, Rikers jail in your, in your district. How do you bring that to the city council now, given that yeah. maybe, you know, as an abolitionist where you want to be? is so far from where we are right now, and especially in this moment that I want to talk more about, but yeah. Yeah. First of all, it's the same work in my mind, right? Like, it is all, you locate yourself within movement, and you figure out what tools in your toolbox that you're using in any given moment. And so in, in my mind, city council is the other side of that coin, right? When we think about, like, why I ran for DA, as an abolitionist, which is 
seems kind of what, right? Like it could seem mind-blowing, but for me, harm reduction was an incredibly important strategy. It's a powerful position. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, uh, what's the goal? Abolition? Well, how do we get there? We have to end mass incarceration. How do we get there? We have to end mass criminalization. How do we get there? Right? Like, we have to paradigm shift. We have to say that we're treating violence as a public health issue. That, like, all these different things. And then the connection that you can make to city council is that this pipeline that we feed into, that austerity mm. goes hand in hand with policing and incarceration. Yes. So in communities, right, particularly black, brown, working class, low-income communities, when you're starved of resources and then are met with, with police be responding to every problem, yep. like this is what you get. And so at the city council, what are the three big things you do? Like, yes, it's, it's land use decisions, right, and we talk about gentrification being violence. We talk about, you know, the lack of affordable housing. Uh, there's legislation, obviously, but, you know, it's one of the largest budgets in the entire country. We're talking about over $98 billion that the city council and the mayor are talking, you know, negotiating as, as to, like, where that money goes and where it doesn't go. And, you know, we put 10-plus billion dollars into policing. We don't put money into... We're looking at a preliminary budget in this moment that cuts funding to our schools, to sanitation, to our public hospital systems, to youth pro... Like, all of these different things. Sanitation? Um, Sanitation in New I've, York. I've been in New York for four days now, and trash is everywhere. How can they cut sanitation? It's terrible. It's terrible. It's uh, just on the sidewalk. God. You haven't seen like all of the most popular thing that's happening right now are council members hosting these like rat academies. Oh yeah. Yeah, for for people in neighborhoods to figure out how to to remediate some of the rat problems. It's like we got to pick up the trash. Yeah. Oh my we god. Gotta pick up the trash. <laughs> I'm just visiting. I don't want to pick up the trash. One of the joke questions I was going to ask you was like, is there a whole separate New York City Council but made up of nothing but rats? <laughs> and, then, and like, you guys like talk, but like nobody knows about it, but you guys have a meeting. And, it, and there's rat councils. <laughs> they exist. They send out the humans to do the podcast. <laughs> but they're the ones who are pulling the levers. <laughs> they're under our chairs moving us. <laughs> The bill is ratified. <laughs> wow. Wow. Puns. I'm sorry. So, and, and, I mean, you can do a lot with a budget. You know, we're coming from L.A., and there's uh, what's known as, like, the People's Budget, which is an entire movement that works along with Black Lives Matter L.A., and they've been successful, although it is to be determined how much the money has been steered away from the LAPD and into what services. Um, but you can do a lot with a budget, and it is not the sexiest work, but, like, you know, how, how goes? <laughs> I mean, first of all, they're doing, like, really dope shit in L.A. Like, one of the targeted yeah. things they did was they took money from um, police in schools, and they made, for the first time in history, basically, in the L.A. school system, targeted investments specifically... Um, you know, in, in black students. And so instead of having police officers, they had these, these teams, right, like a, a, a director of, of culture. Um, mm. They had restorative justice, you know, folks. They had counselors and, and social workers, and they saw incredible results in a short period of time. And mm. on a budget front, 
we're seeing these kinds of successes in a lot of different places. You go to Austin, they defunded the police and turned hotels into housing and yeah. got good results. Even in, in like, and you have to put, you have to layer all of these different things, right? Like you look at Philly, they gave housing grants to small homeowners that needed repairs and within three months they saw crime go down, right? Mm-hmm. Like an understanding that public safety, um, the source of it is so many different things, right? Yeah. And like completely uh, separating police incarceration from our definition of, of public safety is a, a key piece of it. Woo! I, I'm curious as to the dynamic of when you get to the city council and you have that dynamic where now people are, you know, you're a fellow city council person and they're, they're, they're treating you differently and maybe they didn't lead your vote down the road or whatever, whatever their motivation are. And you start to articulate to them these ideas, which for a long time I feel like have been shut out of those positions of power. Like, what is their response? Like, do you have people who just go like, what? Eh, I never thought about... Like, like, I mean, do, do you... Are there moments where you just like feel like, oh, I just blew that dude's mind completely? Yeah. <laughs> I, these are my favorite conversations, especially with people who do not agree with me or think that they don't agree with me. Right, they think you're yeah. a lunatic, and well, you start. Wait, hold on. Can we delve, can we like dig into that a little bit? Because yes. I, I swear, I swear to fucking god, um, I the thing that the thing has that has been most shocking to me throughout this process is that I had no idea how many people thought that I was like a monster boogeyman, and I will go and talk to them. And then I keep hearing from all these other different people who come up to me and are like, you know, everybody is telling me that, like, you're really nice and really reasonable and thoughtful and smart, and they were so surprised by it. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, I am not, I don't know. And, and then I'm like, well, she are, are you reading the post? everything. Like, and yeah. I was just so impressed. I liked her blazer. Yeah. Um, but, but, I mean, do you get that sense, like, you're talking to people, and can you, I mean, I imagine there are some people who are like, Oh no! I you know everything for me is about what I can do for my real estate buddies. But I imagine there's also some people who are like, "Oh, I hadn't really contemplated that." And can you like actually see that change? I'm oh, just yeah. curious about that dynamic of what it what the difference is to have one person or multiple people on a body like that, and what impact it can have. Yeah, I mean, I I I'd be lying if I was like, "Oh, I had a conversation with a colleague and." Now they're an abolitionist. They're an abolitionist. <laughs> they're an abolitionist. <laughs> All 51 members, abolitionists. Um, but I will say that being able to take the time and have these conversations, I feel, I feel pretty encouraged, right? Like, you're not going to get somebody every single... D- like the whole way, right? It, it is all part of a process. But I had one conversation a while back with a council member who has seemingly very opposing views on policing, for example, than me. And we started talking about it. Um, and I was like, I'm just, listen, we want the same thing. We want the safest, healthiest communities possible. And to be honest with you, I only care about outcomes. So let's talk about the same thing that we think an issue is. Right. Let's, like, you want to throw more of the same at it but why don't, like, hear me out. Let me present to you these other options that actually are empirically proven to work better, right? And this person went into, I don't know, a week later, they texted me afterwards. We're talking about somebody that, like, sent out, um, you know, we need to, we can't defund the police, we need to fund the police type 
type literature in the in Our in their president. campaign, and they went to a forum in their area, and they got asked about policing and criminal legal reform, and texted me afterwards and was like, you know, I, I said one of the things that you told me in our conversation. They didn't really like it, but I believed what you said. It made, it made sense, so I said it. I'm like, that's a, that's a win. I'll take it. I will take it. <laughs> I took your talking point, hell yeah, and it worked. <laughs> like, it's there to take. Yeah. I, like, following up on that, it does feel like we're in a, a, a backlash moment to the Black Lives Matter movement, and that, um, sadly, on a federal level, no politician truly, at least not those <laughs> leading Democrats, are interested in taking up um, a very real, probably the biggest uprising of our lifetimes, and an issue that we all know is, however, 30, mil 30 years overdue in need of reform, real reform and change. And you have the president of the State of the Union saying, you got to fund the police, fund the police, ah, more training, as if there's anyone any senator saying defund the police at all, as if that's even seriously being talked about. Meanwhile, they can't pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. This is minimum, uh, you know, some no-knock warrant entries it stops, uh, choke colds it stops, but that's very little. It's something, but they can't even do that. We're in a backlash moment. How do you push back and especially push through these Democrats? Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, one, I just want to share a frustration is that, we are constantly waging this battle of the narratives, and we are faced with kind of trying to push back on a lot of the, the right-wing fear-mongering and then the, the corporate Dems to just, like, pile it on. I, I, I feel like there's almost no... Especially when it comes to policing, criminal legal reform, it's, like, the third rail, and there are leftists, and then, like, everybody else is, is over here. And, you know, I think the biggest frustration I have, and I was talking about this earlier, is that we, as elected officials, um, in, in places of power and privilege, in places of access to information, like, we know what, we have access to, to know, like, what works and what doesn't, and it is the fear of public backlash where, like, electeds have zero backbone. Mm. Zero backbone, right? We see it here in New York. We are, we have... Electeds that have said, well, I support, they spent the entire time saying the data shows bail reform is a good thing, all the, and then all of a sudden they're saying, well, I'm not, I'm not quite sure about that anymore. And like, what changed? Not the data, not the evidence, not the research, like none of that changed, but the, the, the like sort of political climate around it has changed, the fervor around it in a, in a given moment has, has changed, and that's, that's really, really frustrating. But I want to reframe a little bit because I think the fact that you had President Biden yelling about funding the police is actually is actually kind of it's it's kind of indicative of wins in a lot of ways. Yeah, like yeah. they're giving this attention, right. right? It's it's the same example I give about Minneapolis. People are like, "Well, defund movement, it failed because this." I'm like, "Do you know how, what uh, it blows my mind that in this amount of time that was even on the ballot, yeah. right? That it got on the ballot." to like abolish the police department as it existed and built out a new community safety structure. And then it got a ton of support. It, I mean, yeah, it did yep. a ton and it didn't pass. Right. But 
when you look at the people who didn't end up voting for it, it wasn't all people who were opposed. Actually, there was a subset of people that were like, I want to do this, but you haven't put forth the alternative for me. You haven't, with enough specificity, told me what the alternative is going to look like. Mm. And so for me, these are all opportunities to keep pushing it forward. Mm. I like that. I like that reframing. You, you mentioned that uh, element of the political narrative scares off some people, even though the data, the, they've accepted the data. And, and I, rightly or wrongly, am uh, of the belief that the, the, the dynamics that exist on a city are not terribly different than they exist on a state, are not terribly different than they exist in, in the federal level. The stakes may change, but the, the, the dynamics of politics is, is very similar. I'm curious as to, like, what... What that feels like, when you talk about the political narrative and the hysteria or whatever it is, the, the term that you used around that, like, what formulates that? Because, you know, I look at, like, the, the Biden administration or, or, you know, you can, depending on the politician, they're in some type of bubble. And I'm curious as to, like, what makes that bubble where politicians who may not be looking at the polling of what actual voters want or where, where they can move to, but there are signifiers that they... That, that create the political narrative around them. What, what, what are the elements of that? I mean, I think there are a lot of things at play. And, and the, the thing also that I love about hyperlocal government, about hyperlocal electoral politics, is that we're running at, at least, right, progressives, leftists, gra- like grassroots candidates. We're running ground games, right? You can't run really ground. The closest we've come to, like, running a national ground game is, is Bernie Sanders, right? But we are running on... Yeah, you can clap for Bernie. (laughs) Clap for Bernie. Yeah, clap for Bernie. Theo Bernie. But, like, every day I wake up and say, why? Why, why is he not president? Actually, can I tell you that my dog has um, a Bark for Bernie collar, and I have not had the heart to take it off of her. She's been wearing it for... For no. how long now? I'm never taking my Bernie sign down. It's just going to be sun-baked and sad yeah. there in the lawn, and you're going to have to stare at our failure. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> sorry. But, but like on a national level, right, when you're up against folks with insanely huge campaign coffers, they're running air games. It's TV, it's mail, but for these hyper-local offices, you can run entirely, you can run circles around other candidates running really good, strong ground games, but the thing that, that sets it apart um, and I also think the thing that creates more on-ramps and, and, like, builds our movement is that, like, we're having face-to-face conversations. We're also getting more information, mm. right? And so I very unapologetically ran on defund, right, on public safety and environmental issues and other things that were, like, deeply, deeply important in my district. But we had conversations about, like, what what keeps people safe, what makes them feel safe. And I can tell you consistently not very many people said police first. It was maybe like the sixth or seventh thing that they said, if they even said it. If I didn't say, if I didn't talk about, you know, lead with police or crime or whatever it is and just said, hey, what makes you feel safe? What do you need? When I walked into my public, you know, housing complex in my district, what makes you feel safe? I want the trash picked up. I want good jobs. I want, you know, better education. You have a piece of legislation, actually, I just read about um, in terms of domestic violence victims and policing. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, we, we just did a six-hour like six hearing because right now 
um, in order for survivors or victims of domestic violence to access like emergency monetary support, mm -hmm. you have to show you have to show a cooperation with the police. You have to have filed a police report, um, and it's a huge barrier because we know most people don't report to the police for obvious reasons, right? Bad in, bad, so it is it is actually a, f a fact that um, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, is between two to four times more prevalent um, within the law enforcement community yeah. than it is uh, out, outside of the law enforcement community. So it is a very pervasive That was a very within. accurate heckle. Yeah, it was. I <laughs> um, yeah. love that people heckle actual facts <laughs> at our shows. <laughs> it's my kind of audience. Can, you better fucking... That, I'm going to fact check your ass right now. <laughs> Ferdy. Um, can I ask, before we move on, um, about Le Mayor, uh, the new mayor, Mr. Adams. Big support. He's a vegan, support, you guys. Maturity. Oh, what? Oh. Oh, Maturity. What? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is he a pescatarian? They don't have feelings. Oh, my God, he eats fish. You That's can be a vegan hilarious. and eat fish and chicken and pork. Sometimes beef. As long as you feel vegan on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I know I, I, you might be limited on what you can say, but if you were to quantify, <laughs> if you were to put your love for Mayor Eric Adams into it. a container, like, would it be bigger than, like, would it be bigger than, like, a... A New York pizza box, or would it be smaller than? Yeah, would it be like a takeout Chinese food container? Like what? How much love? Matt did not want to hear the answer. <laughs> he ran, ran off the stage. He had to pee straight up. <laughs> what the fuck? He's a huge Adams fan and doesn't want to hear yeah. anything. <laughs> that is when. <laughs> It, when you when you first posted this question in the back, I think you had mentioned like uh, a bread box, yes, um, a, a bread box, goes, sandwich container, sandwich container, um, uh, a fair a, a fairy, a, a yeah. New York fairy size of love. You know, I have to I have to believe that there are things that we can like work together on and move forward. So I'm gonna say, um, you know, a potted plant. Like there's there's room to, there's room to grow. <laughs> You gotta care for it. <laughs> there, look, look at that politician over here. Very good, very good. Potted plants range in size dramatically. <laughs> I mean, that's just. Uh, I think we need to get more. We're like, are we talking about a succulent? Like, is like Trader Joe's? Tiny like, cactuses and mm -hmm. then big, like yeah, like a fig trees. Yeah, so. yeah. I feel like it's yeah, it's kind of a four ninety nine. Picked it up from Trader Joe's succulent. You know, we'll see. Shit will probably be dead in six months, but <laughs> um, all right. But but because we we are in a particular moment where there's there's a there's like a lot of real or imagined sort of stories of violent crime here in New York that are ricocheting, and you have um, Adams essentially doubling, tripling down on police presence and um, talking about his police force, talking about enforcing. Um, basically rules against sleeping on the subway cars, things like that, things that um, I'm not convinced actually do keep people safer. 
Um, so yeah, thoughts on how to bridge? Are you crying? No. So okay. So this is gonna be. This is gonna sound terrible. Okay. So I'm allergic to my dog. <laughs> and so, and so like I have dog fur on me always, but the second that I wiped my eye with my clothing, I was like, oh fuck. Um, yeah, so a little bit of Damn, an allergic that reaction. is love right there. You got like a fairy sized love <laughs> for your dog. Oh yeah, yeah. Welcome back, Matt. <laughs> All right. She talks shit about my boy, Eric Adams. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting in the line of fire. Fuck that shit. <laughs> You're trying to run for office. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Any final thoughts, Tiffany? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think. One, we can't shy away from the fact that we are experiencing a, a spike in violence. Like, yes, we remain, you know, one of the the safest big cities in in the the country. But you know, one act of violence is is one too many. And so, I think it's really important that we acknowledge it and say, like, this is horrific. There, and that and that the the fear that that folks are are feeling is real. But like, we don't. Again, this goes back to this idea of this higher responsibility that as as elected, as people in power, as people who um, have access to the information that that we don't like fold underneath that and say that look we hear you we can hold your pain and your concerns and that like what we are most um, con- what what is most important to us is that we're changing outcomes and so we could do the same shit that we have done for decades that has not worked for the sake of saying we did something in the moment or we could do what works right like you look at the increased violence that we've seen in the subway system. Every single time we've seen one of these horrific events, you'll see reporting, and it's like, well, there were six cops on the subway mm, platform, mm. you know? And so it does, it's, it's not preventing that, but what could, right? Access, and these are long-term goals, but we need to, to double and triple down on those investments, right? Access to mental health care, physical barriers so people can't be pushed in the subway, um, people having a home so that they're not sleeping and vulnerable out in the open at different times, right? Like, we know that this, these things will work and so we can acknowledge that there's a rise but but then say that like we're going to do the hard work of getting to like what the actual causes are mm. love it um give it up for council member tiffany Caban, you guys <laughs> holy shit I mean, it, it actually really does mean something. As someone who, like, became politicized in this city, if I had had someone like you to look to, to and to, like, organize with, that would have, you know, it, I would have still been... No, I'm kidding. I, I'm a terrible organizer. But the point is, is it's, it offers so much hope, and I'm fucking glad you are where you are. You guys, we have one more segment. You ready for it? Yeah. yeah. Final fun segment. It is Women's History Month. Yes, and that is Herstory. always... Herstory. It's... Her, thank you, Matt Lee. Herstory month. Herstory. Women with a Y. Uh, women's Herstory month, and that's always a little pandery. It's a little predictable. You know, you got the greats, the Susan B. Anthonys, the Fannie Lou Hamers, the Cardi B's, you know... Blah, blah, blah. But there's one category of women that we seem to neglect. Um, the cunts. And, you know, these are women who've shattered the glass ceiling and then used the shards to stab us in the back. And I feel like they don't get recognition, right? And since it's award season, what better way to celebrate than with an award show? Tonight, 
we present a newsbroke joint, actually, the Thatchers. The Thatchers. Yes. We have four nominees for the Thatchers. We can all vote together. Um, our first nominee is Lauren Representative, excuse me, Lauren Bobert for her work in Islamophobic Club Comic. I look to my left, and there she is, Ilhan Omar. And I said, well, she doesn't have a backpack, we should be fine. Oh, <laughs> oh so classy. Next, for her work in uh, buying stock in Lockheed Martin after the invasion of Ukraine, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's a great film. She tweeted this, though. War and rumors of war is incredibly profitable and convenient. And just like that, the media now has a lie to use as a reason for our shattered economy and out of control inflation. What a sad existence. It must be to show for... I bought stock. I bought... I bought $15,000 worth of stock after I tweeted that. <laughs> it wouldn't be a war without profiteers. Everybody give it up for Marjorie. No, but yes. Boo. And our third nominee for her work in tanking the $15 minimum wage with a curtsy, Senator Kirsten Cinema. Here she is. She's going to go tap Mitch McConnell on the shoulder. And hey, he looks- I love you. And he turns back around. He doesn't actually care. Oh. Miss Cinema. Miss Cinema. No. No. On a $15 minimum wage, every worker can. Yes. 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 Queen. And our final. Yes. Yes. Yes, Queen. (laughs) That sounds more like an order. That's like. Yeah, that's yes, what I say queen. to my boss when I don't make minimum wage. I make less than minimum wage. I go, yes, queen. You're my boss. I am. I am. Uh, and the final nominee and lady who asks me if I work here, Janine Pirro, <laughs> <laughs> for her work in No, Geraldo, COVID isn't a tragedy. 842,000 deaths. Let's say half of them are not COVID as the prime cause. That's still an enormous number of dead people, historic, really. Not seen anything like this in 100 years. So I think we have to be careful now about de-minimizing this uh, this profoundly unsettling, devastating experience that the nation has gone through. Yes, there's hype. Yes, Jesse's right that the media is in the doom and gloom business. But this is something that historians will look back on and say, my God, this was awful. Uh, That could be debated. Exactly is sad. <laughs> How do you define one million dead? <laughs> um, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, shall we do a good applauseometer or a, a booometer? <laughs> well, we, we need to debate it first. Oh, first don't we have we? debate. Who deserves your Thatcher, Sam Cedar? I mean, um, <laughs> if I had to choose. I would, of course, go with Katherine Harris, the former Secretary of State of Florida Uh in 2000. 
She was unfortunately not nominated in 2022. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was shortlisted. What, what'd she do again? I, I don't even know if she's still alive, but I think that <laughs> she deserves a special mention because I think a lot of the shit show is a, res- a function of her. But um, that being said, I just think that Janine Pirro deserves it just because she can still move her mouth. And I think that's... Kudos. <laughs> what is that in reference to? Well, just like I think like her flesh has been pulled pretty tight. Yeah. I, I, I think she said that's debatable. I like my flesh tight. That, that, was, <laughs> that was just the easiest thing for her to articulate. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't like know. Vincent D'Onofrio. Fewer <laughs> vowels. All right, we got one for Janine Pirro. Uh, Tiffany Caban, what do you, you have a nominee as well, correct? I, well, yeah, can, like, I want to add an honorable mention. Absolutely. And in, to here. Um, Maliotakis. Nicole Maliotakis. It's like, it's like the poor man's version of every one of these massive <laughs> villains up here. Can, can you um, explain the villain a little bit more? I mean, all... Well, I, I feel like the, the audience knows. Which, which also, by the way, all of y'all Brooklynites, like with the lines re- redrawn, like do not fuck this up. Because um, <laughs> there is an opportunity to vote out Nicole Maliotakis, flip the seat from red to blue. So let's make sure we get that done. Um, you know, but... and Fine. I mean, most recently she okay. was... She sounds bad. She sounds bad. She's awful. We're from Los the Angeles. national audience, but whatever. And there's a few people watching. Um, who, so yeah, who, of, who of these four uh, fine ladies would you give the, uh, the Thatcher to? Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, there can only be one. I, I'll, go, I'll go Taylor Green. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. I like it. For that and everything else, and the space lasers. Yeah, I have to agree. I have to go with uh, my girl MGT. <laughs> MTG. MTG. I forget it, but you know, uh, the Jewish space lasers thing to me was like that was special. You know what I mean? <laughs> because there's a lot of different types of anti-Semitism out there that exists. A lot of it is obviously it's all de- deplorable, but to think that. She looks at Jews and she goes, I know you got that fucking space laser. (laughs) I know you have it somewhere. And it's doing something with the weather. (laughs) Like, that to me is like, oh, she thinks that we're magic. Wait a second. Your argument is we don't have space lasers? (laughs) Maybe no one told me about the space laser. You but, gotta turn 40 before they let you in. I was on a gonna secret. say, you're not old enough. <laughs> the Kabbalah says <laughs> you don't get to know about the space lasers <laughs> till your 41st moon. Oh, <laughs> well, in that case. Very good. All right. Uh, I have to go with the person who's just a fucking pimple on America's ass right now. And that's Senator Cinema. Uh, absolutely. And the fact 
that she wants praise from fucking Mitch McConnell for voting that down, and he doesn't give a shit about her, never cares about her, is just, I mean, there's just manic pixie dream she girl. She can change him. <laughs> she, speaking of people we need to vote the fuck out, uh, Arizona's so sick of her, man. She's got, like, no approval rating. Hate cinema. She gets the Thatcher absolutely for this year. The rest of them, ah, you expect it. Uh, and, guys, that has been the Bituation Room Live. That is it. Give it up for everybody, for Sam Cedar, for Council Member Tiffany Caban, for comedian Matt Lieb. And for Francesca Fiorentini, everybody. Before we go... There is still a war, and it's fucked up. So I want to recommend two organizations, Razam and International Rescue, obviously. If folks haven't donated, donate. We're going to leave this up. And then also, uh, Maximilian Inhoff works on this show, and he is his family members, actually, um, are have been left without a home because they were in the States visiting, and then the war started. So if you want to kick them some, some money, help them uh, find some temporary housing in the United States, that would be amazing. So uh, that is Elena and Nat- Natalie here. And um, just thank you guys so much. And remember, guys, fight the power. Fuck the patriarchy. And don't just bitch about it. Be about it, baby. Bye.